So hey everybody, welcome to episode 260 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. So this is our fifth anniversary. I don't know if you guys realize that, right? I How do you start to calculate that? It was a th- well, we published our first episode on August 8th, right? So ah, okay. 2014, the year that yeah. Swift came out. So There's some ambiguity a- here in my head because on my calendar, I do have a yearly anniversary reminder, believe it or not, yeah? Hmm. Oh, yeah. on August yeah. 7th. So that went off today. But, oh, okay. But you just oh, said August wait, 8th. Wait, wait a minute. But, well, but maybe that's when it was published, not recorded. And, and I looked at... Oh, I can't uh, remember when we recorded it. Give me a break. I looked right. at Fireside <laughs> and... It it was uh it said august 6th on the date okay let, let me i'm going to the, i'm going to the the book of record which is the mtjc.fm original website i'm logging into the wordpress mm-hmm. right now i'm punching in the password first i'm opening up one password brought to you by agile bits as far yeah, as recording spot. my yeah. oh wait let me see what this is how long is this 49 44 let me see how long the episode is hang on come on baby okay 17 don't forget those dates had to be put in by hand into three into, uh, minutes so my, you know, with my particular naming scheme and with what, um, yeah, uh, with the Mac shows here, it mm-hmm. claims that the recording date was Tuesday, August twelfth, twenty fourteen. No, it can't be at eight twenty six p.m., which is probably when I saved it. Can't Wait, be. what was it? What was the date? August uh, what? August twelfth. I have. Epi- I had. No, that's that's episode two. That's episode two. First four problems is, is episode oh, two. Oh, oh, oh. So then, where the hell is episode one? I don't know. Episode one was it didn't have a name, and uh, it was published on August. 7th, 2014. So you're right. So I stand corrected. Today, as we record on August 7th, 2019 at 10.14 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time is the fifth anniversary of this pro- of this of this show. I don't know no. when we recorded, but like like you said, maybe, I don't, do we even have the original recording? I don't know. Ooh, 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 yeah, you're, you're right, Tim. I see here. You're right. I thought it was the one at the top, but apparently episode two is when I started naming files in a very consistent format, but I was not consistent oh. on the first one. Yeah, yeah. So 2004, 14 August 5th at 7.08 p.m. is when it was created, what it says here. That's the, the recording or the... The recording, uh, the recording. So if we didn't release till like two days later on the 7th, that would make sense for production times. Oh, so you have what, August 5th? Yeah. Really? When in, you in, in the name end? of the file as well as what the Mac is telling So you actually have your, your original track from... Because I didn't keep any of that stuff because there's a disk space, right? But Yeah, you remember, you, you've probably forgotten after all this time, but I had mentioned like, oh yeah, worst case, we could recreate everything I ever said. We have <laughs> Everything you ever said. Yeah. Okay. You, know, you could have one of those, like, uh, you know, when people take the Garfield comic yeah. strips and they remove everything that Garfield says, so John just seems insane. You could have that. Nothing but my side of the conversation. So we could publish the Jaime Lopez, you know, portion of the show. Yeah. And then with something like Overcast that removes the silences, all of those yeah. gaps where I say nothing for minutes at a yeah. time while other yeah. people are talking yeah. would come in at rapid fire. Like, what the hell? Why does he keep changing topics? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I don't need, I don't need Overcast to do that because I, because I, I strip out, I, my, the software I use, Logic Pro, strips out the silences as well. So I can I can actually put together like a, an episode or two of, of you just talking to yourself. That would be that's pretty funny, actually. I think. Yeah, it would end up really really weird. Yes, the Jaime so Lopez episode. When we had that, <laughs> when we recorded at uh, at 360i Dev that year, that was only yeah. like a month later, three weeks later, right? Yeah, it wasn't that long. Let's huh. let's let's go to the tapes. Uh, no, it looks like it was August 22nd to the 25th or 26th. Was was 
that was the first time you met Jaime too, right? I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Let's That's see. right. We had we had yeah. spoken before before we actually met, and yeah, I, so I August, never actually met four? Aaron in person. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't think, uh, Jaime's never met him either. I don't think. Hmm. Not in person. No. Uh, the only, per- only person. The only person so. besides me that's met all of us is is Greg. Is Greg? Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you've have you ever met Tammy in person? Either of you two? Yeah, I've met Tammy. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, did I meet her in person? You wouldn't forget. Trust me. <laughs> Maybe I haven't. I, I don't kind think of you have. thought I did at that 360 dev, but now. Oh wait a minute! No, she it. did a she did a keynote. Uh, were you there? You weren't there last year, Jaime, were you? Uh, no, but no, no. It was been two years ago now. But I, I met Tammy before, at least in 2016. For um, yes, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 360. Yeah, there's a, pic- there's a picture of, of the three of us walking towards the night of meat, right? Yeah, with her son Travis. Yeah, I have a pic- I have that picture. That's true. Is it kind of a Quentin Tarantino style picture with like from Reservoir Dogs? If you know what I'm talking about. No, oh. no, not okay. like that. No, no. That would have been a good. selfie that I took walking down the road. Hmm? So that would have been good. That would have been, yeah. If only we had known. If only we had Quentin Tarantino. Oh, and us. I can see. I'm looking at my calendar from 2014. That's why I know all this stuff. I see. Yeah. I had my my first visit to LA for business. That whole adventure uh, started mm-hmm. on sub- September 29th, and so yeah, right, yeah. And I was doing all those recording all those uh, podcasts down there from the hotel. Mm-hmm. Oh right, yeah. yeah. And, and remember, there was the one where I forgot to record, so. Mm-hmm. So we had to reenact it after the fact. Yeah. Just you and me, yeah. you played back the. the <laughs> Have we ever talked about that on the air? Like I've, <laughs> I've known about not. that for so long. It's a little behind the scenes here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Five years after the fact, four almost right. five years after the fact, we reveal the. But we like, pulled it off. Nobody ever noticed. At least yeah. they, they were nice enough not to mention it if they did. Well, the thing about it is, yeah, because like I kind of remember what you said, and and based on what I was saying, and and I I, I think back then I had a pair of leaky headphones, so I could kind of listen to what what I had on, on my track. I could hear a bit of you talking, right? So, Well, what you yeah. did was you played back the other track and I yeah. filled it in. Right. I just, right. I just, I just, you know, uh, ad-libbed whatever I thought I had said in the space. Well, and I, yeah, I kind of remembered what you were talking about at specific yeah. points too, right? Because yeah. there were part, there were parts of where we didn't quite get it right, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, nobody's noticed, right? So in all this yep. time. Yeah, yeah, this is like that. I, I want to say it was like the real world or something. It was one of those like really early reality TV shows where yeah. one of the characters was working in a kitchen or something and yeah. he fell and of all the times this is the one time the cameras don't catch anything and they reenacted <laughs> yeah. it and people noticed like wait does that dude's shirt change he's not even wearing the same damn shirt and they wait, he was wearing it. black underwear a minute ago yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> and the cigarette's shorter um yeah and there was another there was another um uh there's a couple of missing episodes because because i think one one aaron and it was just me and aaron and uh i forgot to record my end mm. And so I had to do the reenactment, and uh, but I remembered what I said, and so what, rather than but I thought it'd be funny to have the Macintosh voice do my part and interview because I was interviewing Aaron about his new app, right? Mm. And uh, yeah, we just never published that one, but uh, I think I did remember halfway through. But man, he was mad at me about that because <laughs> it was advertising yeah. for his app, right? No, well, no, he, no, it wasn't that. He was just mad that I yeah. was so incompetent as to not hit record. You know, yeah. anyway. we've we've learned we've learned uh, people will often ask and I say we have multiple recordings we're you know all recording 
uh, our side, just using straight up QuickTime. And then uh, we had stuff before, like with Skype and Call Recorder call or something, recorder, whatever yeah, that yeah. plugin was called. But uh, we've got Zoom, and two of us are you know recording. So like, if something bad happens to one of our devices, the other one is the backup for at least Zoom level of quality. So now we've had times so where I think all all four of us have had time. I, mean, I don't know about Greg, but if he's a fifth one, we've all had times where our internet went down in the middle of a recording, and we and we just keep the we keep rolling, um, and then um, and then so when the connection comes back up again, we just you know I get both I get the one continuous recording with the person's you know cursing at their computer for the internet going down, which is those are pretty funny too. Some of those, but I don't, I don't put those in the show. But um, you know, like can you hear me? Can you hear me? Are you guys there? What's what is, what's going on? You know, that kind of stuff happens, right? But and then sometimes like like uh, it's like the tape breaks. Like I get then my recording will stop for whatever reason. Like if I if I God forbid I touch my USB ports here um, for some reason my recording stops and then then I have to start recording again. So when I get it together, I end up having two a beginning and an end. I have to p- patch them together. And, and sometimes Zoom um, messes up because what it does is if like if Mark has a particularly bad internet, it doesn't continue. It re- it records him, but it but it shortens the gaps between when it couldn't put stuff in. So hmm. so I have to go in and split that out and you know like you know cut like put some dead space in there to make it fit in with the rest of the stuff, right? So it's it's a it's a challenge sometimes to put the show together. Sometimes it just like it's funny because Spotcast where, where it's just us talking and and there's very little ed- editing of content and that one um, that's an easier one to put together because because I just re- we just record and and I find I can go through those ones a lot quicker because this the, here's the secret about this show is is what we're saying right now is before we've actually even started the show right but wh- when I when I go to edit this it'll be like after the intro right so um, but but so this show sometimes you know then stuff that's in the after show is actually stuff that we recorded before we even started the show right so very often yep so that's how the sausage is made it's just like the movies like i guarantee you every movie where somebody has you know like particular hairstyle or a beard or a mustache or something and then they don't at the end of the movie unless they're really really fast at regrowing that they almost certainly shot every bit of film that they needed bearded or hair and then shaved it off like at the well, tail some, end sometimes really they bring short. people back months later like we don't do that but sometimes like like you know <laughs> or if, do we if, <laughs> the no, magic of or, do, or do we yeah exactly. people are running checksums on the the episodes and see if we yeah my part was anyway. recorded six months ago nobody even knows <laughs> what i'm saying yeah. right now i was watching an episode of doctor who where where uh, where the doctor was on a vhs tape and then a whole bunch of people have these imaginary conversations with the doctor and and so the person and the dialogue that that the person would say would ask david Tennant a question and he would repeat back to them what he said and and uh and this one guy who works in a video store had basically written down all the dialogue and, and proved to people that it wasn't really he wasn't really talking to them because because at some point that the character in the in the scene would say i think you can hear what i'm saying and he goes of course i can hear what you're saying and 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 so like they have this dialogue back and forth and then the guy would, yeah 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 but that's on that's in the di- it's in the script I've, I've written it down and and at the end of the episode he gets to the point where actually david Tennant is actually talking to to the girl in in the story but it turns out that it actually is just a videotape so it's just a really weird trippy show so if you ever that was on the other day i just it should should go back and watch that one all right so they were replaying because of our long weekend here i don't know if you guys had a long weekend this weekend but we did and, we did um, not it was was that canada day or something yeah well it's called simcoe day here 
here in Ontario now. It used uh, to be Canada Day. It was called the Family Holiday or whatever. It's an extra day they added because to keep people from you know going squirrely at the cottage and stuff like that, and not having a break in August. Um, so they they added this holiday in about 10, 15 years ago, and um, and it'll link to be in the show notes. But uh, um, so they but they on the TV shows, TV channels, they they just set up like a you know a rerun of stuff. So on Space TV, they were running Doctor Who episodes from like all all the way along. So I just sat down and watched a couple of episodes that I, I frankly I hadn't seen a lot because early in early days uh, Doctor Who was actually on PBS and and you wouldn't if you missed it you missed it and if you did, it was like before the days of, of of PVRs and stuff like that right so if you weren't at home to see the episode you missed it right and now it's you know they're all in reruns or whatever and they cost an arm and a leg I don't know if you've ever guys seen how much they charge for BBC charges for Doctor Who episodes they're a lot of money right so unless you're a real diehard fan you're not going to go off and buy them right even on iTunes they're expensive but yeah so I, I and I was watching them thinking these these are some shows that Jaime should see because Jaime's only seen the last last uh, series, right? The series series eleven, yeah, thirteenth thirteenth Doctor, right? Jody Whittaker, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, Jaime, you've it, never seen the old Doctor Who? He's never I, seen David I, Tennant or, or I, Matt I, Smith. I, I, no, no, I'm talking about like Tom Baker and those. Oh, guys. I know, no, no. I've I've seen like wow. clips. Maybe there was like a random show in the background, like on um, like BBC America or something, but but never actually sitting down and watching and paying attention. Hmm. So. Series eleven yeah. with Jodie Whittaker was the first introduction I like truly had to the Doctor. Yeah, and we and that we, we incorporated that into Spotcast too as well. So. And it was one of the worst seasons. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. Really? I thought it was good. Oh, I, didn't have it yeah. at all. I didn't have anything to base uh, it off know. of, but it I, it seems the interwebs think that she was good as the Doctor, and the writers didn't do that great of a job this season. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, that I, happens, I exactly yeah. agree with that. Yeah, the stories were yeah. just not not that good. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be admitted, admittedly, the the Doctor isn't always like bang on great stuff right no, well, like, that's, and that's, that's very true yeah that's true yeah. like you know yeah. like like uh, like the episodes i'm watching were like the better ones so yeah. like they're you know obviously they they, they I, I i never liked um the first doctor forgotten his name now uh, the first of the new generation of doctors the reboot um eccleston yeah something like that I don't know yeah, yeah 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 i always found he was a little too little too angry all the time right or he had that attitude but that was kind of the whole idea right well that but that was him yeah that was him yeah the doctor is kind of a like a, a curmudgeonly professor type guy right so usually so seems to know more than than is go- knows more about what's going on than the people in the in the show know so, yeah anyway enough about the doctor let's do a let's do a podcast um where are we i thought this was the podcast it is the podcast mark it is the po- it's always the podcast that's right uh back to the notes uh, da, 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 da. all right all right, as we celebrate our fifth anniversary, woo! In five search. years, yeah, we were talking in the pre-show about like when exactly was this? When did we all yeah. meet each other? Like you know, like physically in person? What do you mean pre-show? And, we just talked about it two minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Or maybe yeah. in the after shows. Right, yeah. we're gonna talk like, about this in the after show. Stay tuned. Yeah, or or we'll talk about it in a, in a few minutes, depending on how Tim. We're gonna have. The show. We, we will have going to have spoken anyway. Never mind. Yeah, and, and Mark's that part, part was recorded six months ago. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and it's a whole bunch of series of marks saying cut that out <laughs> all right which doesn't mean stop misbehaving it means cut that out of the show which sometimes i listen to all righty well hey here we are it's uh so just in time for the fifth anniversary of the of the more than just code podcast apple has finally in-
introduce the Apple Card. Sort of. If, if sort, you're one of the of. handful of people who were like on the uh, early oh, invite to the list. Super Friends first, I'm doing air quotes. I, I don't even know if it's that. Like, I assume, you know, people from like The Verge and Earth Technica and, you know, other places, maybe. But um, it's not generally available as of this recording on uh, August 7th. So I unfortunately cannot apply yet. I, I think really? we're expecting like closer to the end of the month. But, but there's by a whole invitation bunch of only sort of thing? Hmm? It's by invitation only, the, the applications? I think there was a website of some sort that you could sign up, like be on a wait list or alert me, remind me when this becomes available. And supposedly they've rolled out to a handful of folks. I've seen people mm. on Twitter for sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, we've got a, a, on a couple of different stories, three different stories at least here, possibly four about the, the Apple Card. Um, I do believe it is USA only, right, Tim? You, you'd probably... Yeah, so definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So apologies for folks outside of the USA, but it gives you sort of a preview of what it's like. Um, this first one here uh, from The Verge, we'll have a you know, link to the show notes, of course, so those of you driving at home. Uh, apparently, the Apple Card restrictions will include uh, no jailbreaking of your device, and uh, you can't use the, the card itself to buy cryptocurrency stuff, which both of those kind of make sense. Uh, Does it? Reuters, it says, uh, ban on purchasing cash, advan- cash advances and cash equivalents, with the latter including cryptocurrencies, casino chips, and lottery tickets, which kind of don't surprise me because I think a lot of things don't even allow you. Like, I certainly can't buy lottery tickets with a credit card. That's, I mean, that's just that's just free money, right? But for <laughs> sure you can do uh, cash advances with your credit card, right? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure of any credit cards out there that don't allow cash advances. Right. Usually that's, at this really ridiculous... Yeah, it's a high yeah. usurious type of rate, but right. I'm not sure. Right. Uh, I guess it, it's not in Apple's business model for this. So like, you don't even get it. Yeah, so, but the, the, the thing about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and stuff like that... Oh, wait. Uh, it says, well, but, but Bitcoin and other digital tokens seem to fall under this cash equivalence umbrella. Huh? So you can't... I mean, because I, cause I mean... I mean, how else do you buy some Bitcoin at some of these Bitcoin mining bank places, whatever? Use right? a different credit card. Yeah, not not with an Apple card, apparently. Yeah. But what, so why is this? Is this Apple sort of saying that that they don't believe in the legitimacy of that kind of currency? Could well, be. we don't know why. They haven't given a reason. Yeah, okay. if I were to speculate, it could be things like uh, uncertainty about how these will truly be treated from like an internal revenue service, the IRS standpoint. Okay. And are they right. are they doing the right things by regulation about like I don't know taking taxes out? or reporting or who knows, like a million different regulation things might come into play. It yeah, could even yeah. be just uh, customer support of like, hey, I bought all this Bitcoin. Oh, no. You know, use my Apple card. Oh, no. It dropped immediately in half. Well, again, let me see if I can do a chargeback on that. And like, no, no, no. They don't want to deal with that just sort of uh, fraud or, you know, just customer support angst around that stuff and just not even allowing it is sort of the path of least resistance. So, And so as for coming back to the jailbreaking thing, so are they de- detecting that your device has been jailbroken or are they expecting you to say that it's not? I believe it is detecting. And, and the clarification that I saw is that your device would not be able to, you know, apply for Apple Card through there, and it wouldn't be able to use um, or access your account for Apple Card if it's jailbroken. So. I think you could hypothetically have two separate iPhones, right? It's not like your Apple ID gets, you know, red flagged. It's not like, oh no, because your other phone is jailbroken, you can no longer use your card. It's just, you can't use your card on that jailbroken phone is my interpretation. So is the implication there that if you do have a jailbroken phone, then you're able to crack the security of the Apple card and change your balance or do something like that? Oh, wow. I don't know. I guess they don't want to have it even be an option, I suppose. No, I think so. So it says here, and they've got this little... 
this quoted out piece here. It says, if you make unauthor- unauthorized modifications to your eligible device, such as disabling hardware or software controls, uh, your eligible device may no longer be eligible to access or manage your account. You acknowledge that the use of a modified eligible device in connection with your agreement is expressly prohibited and constitutes a violation of this agreement and could result in denying or limiting your access to or uh, also to closing your account as well as other remedies as seen under the agreement. So obviously part of the thing, you know that part where, where it says you agree to these terms, we just hit, yeah, whatever. Somewhere in there it must say that you're, you're, you're agreeing not to modify your device or jailbreak it, right? So, and, and I do know that there are ways of detecting jailbroken software, jailbroken devices. I just was curious as to whether Apple had, had said that because, you know, like with, with Touch ID and Face ID, you know, sometimes you have to acknowledge that you know, an app can be accessed, you know, via Face ID by somebody else on your device, right? So it's not a, it's not a, like in the case of Face ID, whatever, it's not proof of, of, uh, like, a, it's not like a, like a, a legitimate password in a sense, you know, but, but by jailbreaking your device, yeah, I guess, like, I don't understand, like, maybe, maybe because you'll be able to look at the logs and see what kind of transactions are happening or, yeah, I, I wonder about that, Mark. I, I, I would think, I would think that Apple has done their, their due diligence and made sure that they're using proper encryption and tokening and whatever to make it unhackable as possible, right? But that doesn't stop you from looking at the, the, network traffic or whatever right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i'm not sure exactly what is the big deal about it uh it, it could even just be another uh, sort of lever that they have to say hey yeah. we, we want to reduce the amount of jailbroken stuff that's going on well i, I thought the jailbroken was jailbreaking was pretty much done on ios anyway right seems um, like it. it seems like a lot of stuff yeah. that um, you know started out in the jailbroke uh, jailbreaking community has actually become part of ios itself or you can sort of build yeah. it now with different extension points um yeah it's not to say that there aren't things that people could do, but I, I definitely don't anecdotally see as many well, people. I got the impression last last anymore. year when Jay Freeman was at 360 iDev doing his talk on on the history of Cydia and all that kind of stuff, and and where he is with the business, he's moved out of that sort of world. That I got the impression from him, his talk that that it was kind of a kind of a futile effort now, right? You know, it's, Apple's gotten so good at detecting or, or defeating them that, that and and yeah, like you said, there's so many things that they want to do with the devices that now you can do that that jailbreaking kind of becomes moot, right? Um, but I, so, and, and I don't know if you covered this in, in other other talks, but one of the other restrictions about this that, that I don't think we've mentioned yet is that this is only for personal cards because uh, Curtis Herbert was talking about on Twitter the other day, and I'll find a tweet and put it in the show notes, that he wasn't able to get a card for his business, which is what he uses prim- primarily uses a credit card for. So because cause it's only for personal purchases. So he can't, like, for instance, use the discount because you can get a discount to buy uh, Apple equipment with this card right like two or three percent off i think right um but he was saying that he wasn't able to take advantage of that uh with a because he can't get a card for his business right so so curtis herbert friend of the show the uh creator of slopes the uh skiing and snowboarding app yeah this is a personal individual He's also a card. Photo bomber by the way <laughs> and it <laughs> It, uh, it's definitely not the Apple card is not a business card. There are differences in there. I, I am not a lawyer. I am definitely not a CPA certified professional or public accountant, whatever that stands for. Uh, I, uh, I would guess there must be ways around this, like, you know, transfer of sale type stuff where he, he buys it, gets the info for, you know, the, sorry, the rewards for that. And then, you know, somehow transfers or purchases from the private self. Yeah, yeah. Like I would, I would buy something and expense it back to my company kind of thing. But, but he was saying that, that the, he, his comment was that the IRS would, would kind of notice that, you know, so that may be a, an issue, right? Plus, yeah. you know, with equipment purchases, you can write them off against your income and as a business and that kind of stuff, right? 
Yeah, I, I don't know what possibilities are are there and, and what's allowed and, and what might be allowed, but IRS is like, this looks weird. We're going to audit you. Even if you haven't done anything bad, it's still a hassle to be audited. So contact, you know, your legal and uh, accountant professionals for advice on that. Yeah, yeah. Don't poke the bear, basically. So, yeah, so you got, so we have something about, uh, so that was the article. Oh, you have the article here from The Verge about um, the rolling out of the article of the, or we already talked about that. Well, we, we, we didn't talk specifically about that. I I'd suppose that it was coming up at the end of the month. And apparently it's from this Verge article. Like it says that it's uh, a random selection of people who signed up to be notified or invited mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and to sign up. And that's probably so another lottery is what you're saying, right? <laughs> I, I suppose so. You know, I suppose so. And that uh, does it have a specific date here? Uh, sign up process requires iOS 12.4. So be aware if you haven't updated. And I don't see a specific date listed in here. But, you know, by the end of the month, I expect folks to be able to, to sign up for that. And apparently it'll be available to use immediately according to the article but you can also request the apple's fancy titanium card it says here for free yeah. i think they have the instant card provisioning so you could start using it um right uh, virtually right. an apple wallet and, and also you know online right right hmm. and then tim you have uh, uh I, I assume it's you because i don't have uh a, yeah it was me the tweet yeah the tweet here from benjamin Mayo. you want to talk about that yeah so i saw this the other day and it was a discussion about the um the reduced interest rates i think uh, um when it was in Announced it was thirteen and a quarter, roughly percent to twenty four and a quarter percent was what what it was supposed to be. But uh, it's been improved. It's now the, it says the uh, Apple Card interest rate improved slightly to twelve point nine nine and twenty three point nine nine percent respectively. Um, but somebody had pointed out that uh, the federal, the Fed had the Fed had cut the Fed uh, has the, cut the prime interest rate. So yeah, by a quarter. Cost yeah. of lending goes down a little bit, or cost of borrowing really goes down a little bit. So so but that may be reflected in this reduction as well, right? Yeah. It should. It should be reflected. I mean, you do the you do the math, and it looks like it's perfectly reflected. If it if it truly yep. was zero point two five percent that they cut it up, mm-hmm. right, right. So uh, solidly solidly average in the interest rate is is what I understand that to be. It's not great. It's not bad. It's average yeah. for, for those of you who were uh, hoping it'd be zero percent. Uh, so but, it, is it like nineteen twenty percent? Is that what a standard card is these days for you guys? I, I think this is pretty pretty average, uh, around thirteen to around twenty four. They, they it can really? go a bit mm. high. I've never seen too many that, that go this much higher than this. There are some that are mm-hmm. better, um, but it gets tricky to really look at this factor because a lot of the ones who end up being better have either significantly higher uh, credit rating requirements or they have some sort of set of like yearly fees related to, to this. Or it's like, you can get this, but you also have to have like a home loan and you know a, a checking and a savings account and you know, other multiple financial products with the same company. So in terms of pure interest rate, it seems to be solidly average, but I'm also not an analyst when it comes to this sort of thing. Just looking at data around anecdotally. Okay, cool. And so the next article is about the uh, Apple's released a video. Several videos. There's at oh. least four or five maybe that I looked at. Um, they're on the... Uh, which channel is this? It's, okay, so it actually is the Apple. I thought it was Apple support. So on Apple's YouTube channel has quick little videos. They're like 30 seconds to a minute each of how to do things like 
find your card number because your titanium card doesn't have an actual number, you know, embossed or inscribed on it. Uh, how to check your spending, which is kind of like my area of interest of seeing how they show categories and, and spending trends and stuff and making payments and getting customer support, which is pretty neat. They have the um, iMessage or messages app sort of integration with that. That's, that's pretty nice. It, it kind of makes sense because Apple offers the messages for business sort of capability. Why wouldn't they use it? So um, and apparently how you can use your, uh, your daily cash, the, you know, you get your 1%, 2% or 3% back um, on a daily basis instead of being added at the month, at the end of the month. Hmm. I'm just looking at on the Apple site here. It looks like they got one, got four. There's like way, way many. There's like tw- 10 or tw- yeah, 10 videos on the Apple card. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I just went yeah, to the yeah. ones that were linked to the uh, article. I didn't go look at the well, channel. It's got the itself. how to apply for Apple card video. And then it's got how to activate your titanium card. That looks like a repeat of there's two of them. They look sim- different colors on them. And then how to make a purchase in store, how to make a purchase online, how to find your card number, how to see your daily cash, how to see check your spending limit, make a payment with your Apple Card, get 24-7 support, uh, and then the introduction and also the Apple Card design. Those are, I guess those are two older videos from, yeah, they're f- four months ago. So they count towards the total that I just gave you. So lots of videos. And of course, you can, you can uh, subscribe to Apple's uh, video uh, YouTube video channel as well. So there, so there's one specifically for Apple Card. Apple Card, you saying Apple Card. All right, what's next? Paul Beatty? I assume that's yours because it doesn't have a name on it. Yeah, so this is follow-up from uh, last week. By the way, all of that was follow-up, right? Uh, follow-up from last week's show where I was talking about the iPad Pro and how uh, you can have the notification center. If you're looking in landscape, that is, right, in portrait, it, it doesn't uh, doesn't show. But in landscape, you get the, uh, it's actually 30 icons. I said, I think I said 25 last week, but uh, it's like six by five. Um, and, but then, it, and that's if you have the uh, notification center on the one side. But what, what, and what I was saying was that for some reason, they weren't sticking for me, like, you know, the notifications. And Paul has sort of given us instructions on how to do it. And I tried it out before the show. Now you bring up the notification center and just swipe to the very bottom. If you, I don't remember on the today extensions on your uh, your phone at the very bottom, there's an edit button, and so you tap that edit button, and there's an area which you can drag your your um, widgets into the into the the area that you want to appear, and, and you set the sort order for them, and those are the ones that will appear on your your home. Uh, which I had missed that step, so now that I've done that, and I've you know come back in and out of my iPad a couple of times, and and uh, sure enough, the ones that I've chosen to be my top four or five um, widgets are appearing every time I open my my uh, iPad, as well as the date and time, which is kind of handy too. So problem solved. I was kind of wondering about that because I saw other people online with things as I sort of expected it. And I didn't realize you had to, because I'm not on the beta, I didn't realize you would have to do this to get it to look the way that they had it on, on some of the screenshots. Yeah, I mean, I, I've sort of had it there, and it, like it was, it was unclear because every time I, I would, my phone, my iPad would lock, and I'd come back to it a little while later, um, I would find that uh, the notifications, the space would be there, but nothing would be appearing. And it's because I hadn't made anything sticky, right? So there you go. That's it. All right, so let's move on to FileMaker slash Claris. Yeah, I, it was going to be cheeky and put this as follow up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Everything's follow up. Twenty years. Every, everything later. is follow up except for like the news of the heat death of the universe, I suppose. Uh, and, and then that's like the one non-followable thing. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, apparently uh, Apple had, had day, purchased yeah. uh, Claris back in 1986, and it was under the leadership. No, they, of crea- they created it. They didn't. They didn't purchase. Sorry, it created. Yes, sorry. Um, and then they renamed to FileMaker at some point in uh, what's yeah. it, 1998. Yeah, yeah. Apparently now they're going going back to Claris. Yeah, after 20 years. Yeah. So I remember Claris because a lot of I have like boxes of Claris, MacWrite, and MacDraw. And Claris Works was a, was sort of a, a competitor to 
Microsoft Office, right? Because Microsoft had a thing called Works, which is like a junior office sort of thing. Um, Claris Works was a similar thing. It had word processing and spreadsheets and, thing, and I think Calendar as well. Um, yeah, Microsoft Works was the thing they gave you for free so you'd see how bad it was and go out and buy Word or Office. No, I paid for Microsoft Works. I don't know. Really? It was yeah, like, it was yeah, like, yeah. like $80 for the like cut rate editions of all the <laughs> things you would want to get from Office from what yeah. I recall, at least around the time that I purchased it in like 98, 99 probably. Huh. It actually started my, my development process because, you know, I had a Mac and it was one of the first people to have a like a like a desktop computer in the in the industry that I was working in in screen printing flags and banners and stuff like that right and um, uh, I had like an inbox of of orders that would come in on paper and they would sit in this inbox and and so I decided well I, I learned how to make a spreadsheet with with a copy of works and started creating a schedule and that schedule once the other managers found out about it that became the production schedule for the entire company at one point right mm-hmm. and that whole uh, thing about you know starting to use computers to make my life easy through like sort of programming in a sense or coding in a sense became my entry point to development and then you know uh, I got FileMaker Pro a few years later and then started doing uh, it was when actually the hockey pool some guy was walking around with a piece of paper and, and I said to him what are you doing this is where we're doing the hockey pool and I said why don't you use a computer to do that and he's like what do you mean you do use a computer to do that and he handed it over to me and I said well I could do that up in FileMaker Pro and then you know then learned how to about you know creating conditions and loops and all that kind of stuff and, and that led on to um, doing FileMaker and then somebody said to me can you make this available on so I can see the updates and, and I said well let me think about that and, and a friend of mine had mentioned PHP to me so I went and got downloaded a copy of PHP and MySQL and or, uh, and or MySQL if you like and I basically learned how to do um, online basically take FileMaker or what I was doing the FileMaker thing and do it in PHP and that started my whole my whole coding career so here we are you know many years later thanks to FileMaker Pro and Claris yeah I never I never used FileMaker but looking at his description here it sounds a pretty similar to what Microsoft Access does and I've mm-hmm. definitely yeah, built it stuff was, for that it was kind of like HyperCard on steroids right I don't know if you ever used HyperCard either but um, mm-hmm. it was very you had this sort of layout mode and you could drag fields on and you could have like you know drop downs and you could have pick lists and that kind of stuff and and you, you basically, it was all very gooey and you just sort of dragged it out and you created layouts and people had made entire inventory systems and uh, order entry areas, or, you know, uh, point of purchase uh, tools for people to use. FileMaker as a business tool was quite good. I don't, I don't know if you remember an app called Bento. It was an early it was yeah, a version of that. And Bento came over to the iPad when the iPad first came out. And, mm-hmm. and it was very similar to that. You could create your own forms, forms processing and that kind of stuff. And, and FileMaker Pro had, a, it was basically a relational database that sat behind it. And you could create tables and create relationships between those tables and that kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah, I, I was, you know, doing quite a lot of FileMaker development back in the day. In fact, even getting paid to do it by people from time to time. So, yeah, I liked it a lot. But people made, like, the entire, like, people, you could buy applications, you know, ready-made, you know, off-the-shelf applications that people had written up in FileMaker Pro. And there's a whole community of support. I think part of the reason why they went to the FileMaker name was because it had become more of a, a going concern than just a little software company, right? And, and they really sort of wanted to get behind FileMaker. And, and it's still going. I mean, people are still using FileMaker for all kinds of stuff, right? For Mac automation. And it, it's cross, I think it's cross platform. It works on both uh, Windows and Mac. Weren't they selling MacDraw and MacPaint under the first name at one point? Yeah, yeah, back in the early days. Yeah, yeah. 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 So like I said, I have a bo- I think Carol found me a box of MacDraw. Because originally when the Mac 128 first came out, it came with MacPaint and, and MacWrite, I believe, right? Uh, and then uh, MacPaint and MacWrite. You know, MacDraw Mac was sort of a first illustration thing. It used some 
some of the tools out of Mac Paint and and uh, you know if Mac Write was like a little word processor like to take on Word mm-hmm. right? and that was that was under the Claris name for sure. Similar icon like it was a blue colored icon and, and FileMaker Pro kind of adopted the same colors or FileMaker itself the company right and uh, I think Apple spun FileMaker into its own entity. It may still be right, but it's cool that it's coming back to the to the Claris name. Do you know yep. Do you know what the name of the cow dog is, Jaime? Oh, uh, we we talked about this. I don't recall what it was called. You remember what the cow dog says? Cow dog says moof. <laughs> this came up because there was somebody yeah, who had a Susan, physical Susan, like 3D uh, printing version. Yeah. We were talking about it on yeah, the Yeah, Greg on, printed that what? one on the, you showed us one. Anyway, the cow dog name is Claris. Mm. So there you go. Claris, but Claris with a U. Claris the cow dog. Okay, Scrum Master, let's move on. More than just code. (laughs) It's coming full circle. Let's park that. Let's park that. (laughs) All right. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's a comment from something that's not going to get published. All righty. Is that all you had to say about FileMaker Pro? Just you're happy to have the name back? I I thought it was was interesting. I I felt like you guys would know more about this history than I would. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge FileMaker Pro fan. You kind of thought that would be a 30 second uh, topic, didn't you? A a quick hit, (laughs) but you know, it it, it turned out to be, you know, a a trip down memory lane. It's a life story for me, man. I built built my career on FileMaker Pro. Fifth Um, anniversary episode. (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, what's interesting is I don't currently have a working copy of FileMaker Pro, surprisingly. I haven't haven't probably touched it in like, you know, umpteen years, since at least since iOS anyway. And I do know a guy. If if somebody ever called me up and said, hey, can you you do this FileMaker Pro thing? I know a guy who does. So I always refer him. And there you go. All right. So what's next, Tommy? Uh, I'll I'll read the very clickbaity title for this Ars Technica post uh, and then we can talk more about like the realistic implications so the title as written um, is ios 13 privacy feature will force total overhaul for facebook apps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually quite a bit limited compared to, to that sort of thing so so uh, before you get into that i, I am mm-hmm. so glad i never implemented filmmaker pro login carry on oh <laughs> now you can do <laughs> sign in with apple exactly to get, to get you in the long run um filemaker pro login tim Oh, sorry. Did I say phone? That's what you said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me say it again. I'm so glad I never. In, 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 so I'm so glad I never implemented Facebook login. That makes more or sense. Or FileMaker login, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have done FileMaker login. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that. I have done that. Well, um, sort of the the less clickbaity thing here is is buried well in the lead. So apparently, in iOS 13, uh, there's been a change that uh, voice over IP uh, apps will no longer be able to just like run in the background when they're not actively in use. Uh, supposedly, Facebook Messenger and the WhatsApp programs uh, do this um, today, uh, ostensibly, so that they can uh, quickly connect calls. Apparently, that's not going to be allowed in iOS 13, and folks will have to use the is it push kit. I forget what it was called. Mentioned here somewhere. Uh, yes, the Pushkit Voice over IP API to, to give you some more of that seamless experience. Um, so yeah, so the the key thing is remember, folks get uh, you know pretty antsy about you know people using Voice over IP classification as a, as a sort of a, a cheater way to stay always running in the background. Apparently, as of iOS 13, you won't be able to. You'll you'll have to play by the uh, Pushkit Voice over IP API rules. Hmm. So considerably less considerably less impact, I'm sure, than the total over. Overhaul the Facebook's app like well, it seems like a yeah. not you know not trivial but like relatively minor story, inconvenience. Yeah. yeah, that doesn't fit the title, right? It's like I'd like I'd bring it up as like, hey, if you're out there and you're doing a voice over IP app, be aware that iOS 13 will cause this change for you. You mean extra clicks? Like Mark was complaining about Zoom earlier. <laughs> <laughs> if only we could install a web server on your iPhone, so right. it was seamlessly <laughs> open all these things. Um, yeah, 
yeah, I, I'd seen some chatter online um, about folks saying, well, you know, sort of giving the benefit of the doubt here of what ends up happening. Um, there might be situations where you would not seamlessly, like without a stutter, go into the voice over IP call. Seems like that's an okay trade-off to me, in my mind, versus having a bit more you know, security and, and more solid rules and sandboxing around what apps can do and can't do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's weird. By the way, have you guys gotten any like text messages from Facebook lately? I've, no. I've been getting text messages saying so-and-so left me a message or there's a message from so-and-so on, and it's like fb.com in my text messages. I'm like, why are you sending me a text message about this? So it could be one of two things, and they, they both feel equally likely. It could be like a phishing sort of scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, of like, from Facebook? Well, no, no, no. Like not from Facebook itself. Yeah, so, yeah. So bad actor trying to mask itself and appear as if it's from Facebook. Oh, mm-hmm. click this link. Somebody said something about you. Please enter in your login credentials. Right? Oh, gotcha. Right, or, right. or given what we saw before around the uh, people adding their number for two-factor yeah, authentication, yeah, yeah. and then, whoops, some other intern somewhere said, hey, this, this number's in the database. I bet we could send you know marketing pushes based on this. It, it could be either one of those, given Facebook's history. Yeah, I was going to... I was going to... Because... Because it happens to be two of my relatives who, whose names came up, and, and I was going to reach out to them and go, hey, did you, by the way, turn on two-factor authentication with Facebook, and which they shouldn't ought to do, I don't well, think. Well, usually with emails, at least when that happens, when you when you get an email from someone, it seems like you got an email from someone you know. It's usually not their email that's been compromised. It's right. your email yeah. that's been compromised. Yeah, yeah. And they got your contact list somehow. Yeah. Mm. So maybe well, there's a surprise. Maybe, Facebook compromised yeah. again. Well, maybe you should change your Facebook password just to be sure. Yeah, I had, I had, uh, what did this message say? Because it, doing this as a public service for people, a friend of mine, I got this weird message from her online. Line? No, it was in Facebook Messenger itself, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of curious if this if this scam is going around to other people. I got this middle uh, middle of the day message from message that supposedly was from said, Oh my god, it's you and then a link. And then you can see yeah. that the video link goes to some uh, Amazon AWS dot com thing. I never clicked on it. I'll let her know through other channels. It's like, yo, I'm pretty sure you didn't send this. You should go change your passwords like now mm-hmm. uh, and, and reset anything. So people are doing that sort of stuff all the time. Be careful. You stuff like one password don't 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 type in that crap if it's if it's not going to match because it's not the the correct domain um you know one password and other password managers will catch that yeah i don't trust uh facebook as far as i can throw them i only use it i only use it because i have to because i have relatives that's the sad part about it right you know that's how companies get you man that's how they get you (laughs) so how do y'all feel about domino's domino's pizza i like uh, i bought some i bought some uh but uh domino's yeah i like domino's what's what's wrong with domino's now. I brought this one up. This is a, a case uh, that's going before the um, is it the U.S. Supreme Court? Yes, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, regarding um, the Americans with Disabilities Act, uh-huh. which generally provides uh, a framework for people to have uh, accommodation for um, the public. You know, you might notice that uh, in addition to, you know, steps leading up to the front door, businesses will often have a ramp for wheelchair accessibility and, right. and people who are otherwise impaired and other things like, you know, um, you know, Braille options and the, I don't know what it's called. It's like teletype or something for people who, you know, who can't hear and, and can still use telephone type services. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, uh, an individual um, 
with visual impairment in California has tried at least twice to order a pizza from Domino's using its website and app, but was unable to complete the transaction because Domino's website and app are not designed to be accessible to the visually impaired. So back in 2016, he filed a suit and uh, a lawsuit, and it's sort of come up to the U.S. Supreme Court about do websites and apps fall under the ADA, the Americans with Disability Act, which was put into place like 30 years ago, I think it says somewhere in the article. So long before apps and websites would have been a, a very common thing, uh, if they even existed at all in, in some cases. And it's I bring it to to the panel here because it, it seems like a really good question. And even if there aren't sort of legal uh, ramifications for it, for me, it seems like philosophically we should do as much as possible to make things accessible, and particularly because as we've, we've talked about on the show, the platform providers like Facebook, sorry, Facebook, <laughs> like Google and Apple uh, provide a lot of this out of the box. Apple in particular is really good at providing things for accessibility and, um, I really wish they could do more around uh, colorblindness, but there's certainly you know, tools out there that people can use to get beyond that. Dark mode and other things related to color mm-hmm. sort of bring this sort of to the forefront. But at the very least, like if you you know can't see at all, like, I still feel like you should be able to make your way through something like ordering a pizza. Yeah, they use screen readers like most sites, right? Yeah, but like I guess it's, readability? it's I guess it's broken enough on uh, on Domino's site that this person just could not complete the order, mm-hmm. and it's a good question. As to whether this thing would fall under it, it certainly seems to me that, and again, I'm not a lawyer, not a judge for sure. Uh, it certainly seems like, as a, a casual consumer of Domino's wares, it seems to me that they're pushing the online ordering, whether that's app or website, pretty heavily. And uh, fairly recently, uh, Buddy and I, we got some Domino's, and, and since he lives like not too far away, we just walk over. We didn't have it delivered or anything, we just walked over to pick it up. And we hardly even had to talk to a person. And in fact, right, yeah, the Domino's yeah. coming out with new stuff. We have like little cubby holes in the future that you just like, you know, like going to an Amazon locker. You just go get your, your pizza right out of the locker and never even talk to anybody. That was really, you just walk impaired. in and run your card or something and the pizza pops out. Is that basically how it works? I, I assume you have like a, like a QR code or like a, you know, a pin number or something. And it unlocks the box that is yours. I, I haven't used that yet because it, it is not available in my area. I'm just aware of them testing. But in this case, we just sort of showed up and said, Hey, we're this order and like cool and they handed the box right over like hardly had to prove at all who we were i guess we had the information (laughs) well enough of like hey it was you know these pizzas with this type and it was already prepaid for because we paid through the app so uh it it seems to me that it's not what domino's is presenting here where they uh, uh, allegedly are presenting is like oh uh public accommodations is really intended to cover buildings right like physical facilities before you go down this rabbit hole i want to just take a tangent for a sidebar for a second so you guys don't have services like ritual where you can order food from a from a company and show up and say I'm Mark and get Mark's order. We have that all oh, over sure. the place. Yeah, too. we have that all over the place. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Like Grubhub and Caviar. Yeah, you, you, you basically order online and and you just show up and say I'm so and so and it's already paid for and yeah, you know yeah, or they okay, deliver okay. to you. It's a lot of the a lot of the same. Yeah, food. Uber Eats and stuff like that. We have that now here too as well. Yeah, yeah, and it uh, it seems to me at least in this particular case that Domino's has gone sort of above and beyond when it comes to blurring the lines between, you know, calling them up or physically going there to order and ordering online or through the app. Um, so I, I don't know what will come out of this. Uh, I, I certainly would advise people to make things accessible. Um, 
and you kind of have to go out of your way to make it inaccessible nowadays. Uh, like you really, really have to go out of your way to make it non-accessible. Uh, that's not to mean that you'll have good accessibility out of the box. So certainly there's talks we can, we can show through in the show notes, I'm sure about that, but um, it'd be pretty disappointing if folks couldn't get what they wanted through here. And, and in fact, I yeah, it would, would especially imagine. Especially if they turn off the other, the other methods of ordering. You know, if you can't call them up on the phone anymore and order, then you're mm-hmm. basically cut off from, from using their service. Uh, it's, it's, I, I think it's, it's a different story if they're offering alternative means and maybe, you know, one particular means is not accessible. I mean, that's maybe not the worst thing in the world. You can't do everything. I mean, it would be good if they did, but, yeah. you know, if they offer an alternative, then maybe it's okay, you know, but. But if they don't offer an alternative, then, then that's a problem. Yeah. And, and the two places where it might fall down that came to mind were um, if you could only get certain specials through the website or the right, app right. that are not accessible over the yep. phone. Yep. Um, yep. Or if the alternative method is a clearly inferior route, like, oh, they never, ever answered a damn phone. Right? Yeah. If you're like mm-hmm. calling for hours versus like somebody with the app instantaneously gets accepted. Right. And then you have a uh, separate but unequal sort of situation going on right wait so these guys are suing because of bad customer service like that's that's crazy because i can tell you like there are tons of services around that that are horrible at serving people it's not it's certainly customer service has an 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 angle towards this but i wouldn't say that it's quite accurate to say that it's customer service this is about uh access right so so, it's very clear in the the real world it's the same law that says you have to have a ramp up into your building right yeah it's it's physical access yeah it is it is an interesting from a legal point of view, it's an interesting case, I, I think, uh, because it, it is a different situation. Uh, mm-hmm. But and the question is, does that law apply in this situation? That's what they're going to decide. Right. This yeah. will this will set some precedents, I, I expect, because this law was written uh, without these sort of ramifications in mind. Not to say that the that it wouldn't be positive to move things towards accessibility, but that's not necessarily the yeah. how the law will be interpreted. I mean, it, it's it's a shame that we have to have laws for this kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, it, it should just, it be, should a, just a, be something you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. So, there, so the argument here is that in in the cases that Domino's is saying that they shouldn't have to be under the same rules as physical buildings is what you're saying, Jaime, right? Yeah, it seemed like their argument was sort of twofold. It was this law was never intended to cover that, and even if it did, it's an undue burden because these are uh, ever shifting and ever changing standards. Oh, which I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the former, I could see an argument for, like you know. The, it certainly would, in my opinion, would not have been intended to cover this because this would not have been top of mind for, I mean, heck, it wouldn't be top of mind for senators nowadays, much less, right. yeah, you know. Uh, you can't fit a pizza through a your, tube. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but even if it wasn't intended for that, that doesn't mean that it still doesn't apply, right? And that's where Supreme Court justices come in to, to deal with that sort of ambiguity and uncertainty. Um the other side of shifting and changing standards, I don't really agree with because I I don't think that this will set a precedent like, well, well, you know, Domino's has L5, you know, it's, I don't know, I'm making up a, like a, a category of levels like, oh, there's L1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Well, they have L5 level of, of accessibility, but you know what? There's new L6 out and they haven't oh, updated. No, so I'm going to yeah. sue their, their butts. It's like, I don't think that's the case here. They like, clearly, you know, this person just like could not do anything at all. It wasn't like, was it a good experience? 
experience? Was it an efficient experience? This is like bare minimum. Like person should be able to, like, what was it episode one or two? We had the push for pizza uh, yeah. app that, you know, bless its heart because it's no longer exists as far as I understand. Um, like it should be as easy as that. Like it, cited or not capable or not, like you should be able to do these simple and basic things. And this isn't a, uh, you know, mom and pop bakery somewhere. It's like, Oh no, like we don't know how to handle accessibility. It's like you're freaking dominoes. You can afford to make this thing you know, accessible. They're, they're probably spending, honestly, they're spending way more money on this particular lawsuit than they would have just spent making it accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's their point, I guess, right? They're trying to, def- they're trying to represent a, a number of businesses who might be falling into the same category, right? That's what I'm reading here in the, in the article. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, it seems like a losing battle, uh, if only from a public relations standpoint, like I'm not sure that you'll, you might get some sympathy from other business owners, particularly small business owners, but I can't imagine you'll get a whole lot of sympathy out in the general public for this. So it's fun. It's funny. We have, um, I forgot the name of the company, but there's like this company goes around Toronto and they build these wooden ramps and they put like step up or something like that on the, uh, on the, the signs and, and they sell them to, you know, they custom make them and they sell them to the various businesses around and they're, they're all removable. So you can pick them up and put them into your store when you close at night. But so I, I don't know that we, accessibility is something that's funny. My sister-in-law is big in accessibility, accessibility law, but um, I don't know that it's a law that they have to have it here, but you're saying in California, Mark, it's a law that you have them have to have accessibility ramps. Uh, it's a U.S. thing. I don't think it's a California thing. Is it U.S.? Yeah, is that true. Certainly on for for public buildings, government buildings. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm not a lawyer. I don't know exactly what the what the laws are for private companies or or uh, mm-hmm. or you know stores and things like that. But but yeah. there's definitely the Americans with Disabilities Act. Yeah, I'm looking at HomeDepot.com, they seem to sell a lot of ramps and stuff like that. Mm. It gets complicated, um, as Mark mentions, because you have uh, public versus private. You end up having the, um, like if a building was historic, like that adds an extra level of like, okay, do they need to to add this or not? Uh, There tends to be stuff that's grandfathered in, but then, you know, like, well, if you make some sort of significant modification, you're not going to get your uh, your permits to do so unless you also add ADA accessible uh, facilities. So it's it's certainly not a trivial thing to do in the real world, but it's it's certainly not an impossible thing to do either. Hmm. So I'm just reading here, just a real time follow up about wheelchair wheelchair ramp regulations in Canada. It says in 1990, the United States signed a law into law, Americans with Disability Act, which provides more access to buildings for disabled. Canada does not have a disability law, but it does have specific building codes that reply to this. So from the CNBC, the Canadian National Building Code. So there you go. It talks about how wide the ramp should be and so on and so forth, landings and things like that. Yeah. It's a sticky wicket. Right. All right. So I guess we're on to our picks, picks portion of the show. So Jaime, do you have a pick this week? I do. And I feel like it is the, the salt to your pepper when it comes to your pick and uh, what I what I knew was coming up in uh, the coming weeks. I have here a article, uh, a blog post by David Lloyd on uh, Red Hat Developer, uh, their website, about uh, 10 tips for reviewing code you don't like. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll briefly mention the 10. So uh, to have you know some uh, kinder kinder code reviews. Uh, One would be uh, rephrasing your objection as a question, uh, avoiding hyperbole, keeping snide comments to yourself, engaging positively, uh, remembering that not everybody's experience is identical to yours. Uh, Number six, don't diminish the complexity of something that's not obvious. Mm -hmm. Be respectful, uh, manage expectations in your time, say please. And number 10, start a conversation. 
there's more detail in here uh and some examples of you know bad and, and good examples of each i think it's something folks should uh, maybe just take a refresher sure. on just sort of get into it if you can think back to any sort of like really testy uh code reviews on pull requests look at those through this lens and see how might it have gone a little bit better maybe be a little bit less testy less spicy and uh, hopefully going forward in the future you can be uh, a little happier so when you mentioned the, the future stuff are you referring to parts of my talk which talk about code reviews is that what you're getting at Indeed, I feel like that's spoilers for the next twenty seconds. <laughs> twenty seconds from now, spoilers. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. But it's it definitely is spoilers for part of my talk. But but yeah, it's exactly the point. Is that that uh, that uh, there seems to be um, uh, in my experience, there's been there's been a lot of uh, code reviews that that and code reviews that go go well because both sides of the fence, the the person receiving the 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 code review and the person giving the code review aren't you know looking at it the same way. And there's a lot of brain science behind that. But I'm not going to go into that. That you have to come to my talk or watch the talk after it's been videoed uh, to find out about the brain science side of it. But um, yeah, it, you know, I think I think being a decent human being is sort of a, a, one of the hardest things to be when it comes to code reviews, especially in, in this day and age where we do everything in black and white and text. You know, where you can't see emotion or get intention. And a lot of times, what I tell with with developers, I'll say if they're they're having trouble understanding a code review that they've got, um, maybe they don't understand what the person's trying to say. Is maybe you should go make an appointment and go visit that person and sit down with them and have them explain to you what what's wrong with your your code and that kind of stuff. Right. So if there's anything wrong or what or, or, or so you get better understanding what the suggestions are making is i think a lot of times you know we we i find we we uh read into things in the code review that aren't there <laughs> you know um and sometimes when we're making a code review we're, our statements aren't quite clear that we're we're not you know belittling them or whatever right so sometimes i'll and rather than putting something in a comment in the code review i'll actually hip chat somebody or, or use teams or whatever to have a conversation with them asking them why did you do this this way as opposed to you know writing it in a comment in black and white that stays there forever, right? Yeah. I, you know, if, if there were enough time, and I understand there's not, but if there were enough time yeah. in the world, it, it would be so much better to have just in-person oral code reviews yeah. instead oh, yeah. of these yeah. written ones There, because there's so much miscommunication and, mm -hmm. and you know, you have to, it, it's just not efficient either. You have to you have to reverse engineer what they did and figure yeah. out what's wrong with it as right. opposed to them telling you what they did and then and then you figuring out what's wrong. It's It would be so much faster to do it the other way, but unfortunately in, in in the real world, it's there's not enough time, not enough hours in the day to do that for every code review. Well, and sometimes you know when when you're responding, writing a comment, you you kind of just rattle it off, get it out of the way, and move on to the next thing, right? Yeah. And and one of the one of my pet peeves though is is I think it's point number uh, number eight: manage expectations and and time. I mean, I always tell people to be respectful of other people's times. Don't make giant code reviews. Like if you, I mean, so, sorry, giant pull requests. Because the thing about it is, if you if you know if you, like if you look at a, a like something that's got you know twenty or thirty files touched in it, and you have to. And to be honest with uh, your your review, you have to look at each each line of, of the change, right? Yeah. And understand what you're seeing, and that can take an hour or two of your time, or an hour of your time. And, and most people want to look, go and look at a code review, spend like you know ten fifteen minutes with it, and that's ten fifteen minutes is too long, right? Um, but you want to you want to look at the the thing when somebody sends you a code review that's, that's touched like twenty or thirty files. It's like most developers were just like, I didn't see that, and they'll 
know, move on to the next thing and, and let the rest of the team deal with it, right? That's what I find, right? So I always rec- I recommend that people make smaller smaller commitments more often, right? Than than make these giant tomes that no one's going to read, right? Yeah, or if you're gonna if you're gonna I mean, part of the problem with that, of course, is that no, well, sometimes or, you're refactoring, admittedly. Yeah, yeah. Or, or it's a major feature, and you can't check the whole thing into master without breaking right. master. So right. Right. so one way to handle that though then is to have sort of a branch that is kind of the the master for the feature right. and check things a little at a time into that branch and then when it's all done and it's all reviewed a little at a time mm-hmm. then you can merge the whole thing into master when it's presumably already been checked a little at a time once and yeah, then, but but then again you have to make sure that it's clear to the people coming to that that last merge that this has been re- reviewed and right. it is sort of, it's just this is a, this is a mer- like it's a fast forward or whatever right it's right, a, right this is a giant you know giant commitment that's already been already been reviewed and you know mm-hmm. yeah so there's certainly um been parts of reviews that have done that where you had the, the the branch and then the small little pull requests that are targeted at the branch mm-hmm. and then the final pull request that is merging the entire branch over but then you'd have a little uh, like table of contents right it's like all of this has been reviewed and then you can see that this commit is this pr this commit is this pr and so people can sort of double check because sometimes you know mistakes happen it'd be kind of nice if the tooling like bitbucket and github sort of auto magically did that for you like if you had a little option to create you know a little table of contents for you but it generally doesn't take you know that much effort i'd, I'd be shocked if one of those was more than you know like 10 pull requests for the feature mm-hmm. what what tools do you guys use for pull re- we use um uh, bitbucket right so we we get the yeah we use bitbucket the diffs and the and the comment section mm-hmm. uh github github okay oh yeah or github enterprise i should say mm-hmm. the hosted the self-hosted yeah, my version. previous company we use something called garrett which is kind of interesting it's a different approach mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's g-e-r-r-i-t-t i think yes yep yeah 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 i've yeah. never used that one can you is there like a tldr that you can compare and contrast uh, it's 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 kind of, i mean it's a similar concept obviously but but it's a it's a little bit different in in, in terms of a, a pull request is a little bit more formal where where you have it's called a review not a pull request uh yeah. the biggest difference is that a branch can only be put into the system once and so so then you have branches that are relative to that branch so so once you once you submit your branch for review, uh, you can't do any more work on that branch. And the advantage of that is that you you avoid that thing that happens where you, you, know, you push a pull request and then you realize, oh, there's this one other last little thing I want to get in there. And you push it mm. up and it updates the pull request. But, you know, maybe somebody already pulled into their local branch without merging it and then they never got that last change and it can cause oh, problems oh. like that. That kind of stuff happens. Uh, so with this, there's a lot of enforcement on it and, it and nothing can get merged until it's gotten a a, uh, a level two uh, approval. There's level one re- approval is looks okay, looks okay, but someone else has to yeah, uh, look yeah. at it because you know it's their field of expertise or whatever. Uh, yeah. And then someone has to give the final plus two. Uh, and then and then like I said, if you if you want to build something on top of that, you have to create a whole new branch, and you can submit that branch as a relative to the first branch review. So you have these stacks of reviews. It, that it can be kind of a pain if you have a if you have slow reviewers or a, or things take a long time to merge because then you'll get things stacking up and, and taking a long time. Uh, but it does impose some interesting protection against things going wrong that you don't seem to get in the in the standard tools. Hmm. 
Apparently, this is based on what Google uses. <laughs> no, it's true. It's it's a it's a it's an open source version of what Google uses. Yeah, I think we use a variation of Git Flow, which is sort of an idea like that, where you know we have to have two two reviewers and and um, yeah. The thing about the thing about our PRs though is is if you change something, if you want to add that one more thing and you negate any of the approvals you had before, and you have to get them again, mm. so it automatically updates the the PR to say you know it, it automatically rejects your own, you reject your own PR every time you make a change to it, right? Mm, so that it has to go back and re reviewed again. Yeah, that's that's good for a safety thing, but it's bad mm -hmm. for uh, annoying the people who spent the last hour reviewing yeah. your thing and are about to click approve, and then you didn't, then you uh, negate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's annoying. Well, it's you know, obviously, again, you want to make sure you get your stuff done. The other thing, the other point here that I want to point out too is is this uh, uh, number nine. Say please. I I you know, there's a, there's a whole thing about it takes twenty one days to learn a habit. And one of the habits that, that I was advised to learn, not personally, but just everybody is, is and that's to say please and thank you. And um, it takes a bit of effort to learn to do it. In fact, I, I actually cheated because I put I put thanks, Tim, in my in my signature in my email. So every email you get from me at the end will say thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, because, you know, you, you know, again, coming back to the how people read black and white text, you can't see that, you know, if I'm kidding or not. And, you know, so I always try and put an emoticon if I'm if I'm joking around, like you know, I yeah. do this little sticky out tongue thing with you guys all the time, right? But um, you, you know, just it doesn't take a lot to say please and thank you. Um, so, either, so even in real life, right? Yeah, so th thank you is is of course it's no brainer. You always always say thank you. Please mm -hmm. is kind of an interesting one though, because please yeah. in written communication can come across badly. Yeah. Uh, because if you say please do this, it yeah. can still come across as I'm telling you to do this. Yeah, imperative. I'm just yeah, trying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. to make it sound Confident. like it's yeah. yeah yeah so it's 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 a little bit different than saying can you please do this uh but yeah. may, well i don't know yeah but no you're right though. i mean mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. i think yeah it depends on where you put the please right like you put it at the end or or you have to get the gra we're not grammaticians grammaticians we're not we're not greg hero can i say um <laughs> <laughs> we just play him on the podcast um yeah we just uh yeah it's one of those we need we need a, a an etymologist here, right? Or entomologist? Huh? No, you had it right because entomology. I know, I know. I was, I, was just, I was doing it badly for for Greg's purpose, right? So for comedic purposes, you can just we need, you can we need just a bug duck doctor, my yeah, side yeah. of the conversation. So yeah. It's funnier. <laughs> So we need an entomologist here to help us with our bugs, and uh, and an etymologist here to help us with our, our wordsmithing. So yeah. So and my point is that yeah, gra grammar is lost on a lot of us. But uh, what's that grammar? There's something I keep commercial I keep seeing on YouTube for uh, grammar. Grammarly, I oh, think. Grammarly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so. yeah. I never write, you know, an article without this. Oh, my book reports are always done with yeah. Grammarly. Yeah, yeah. I've yeah. seen those videos. I I are writing good words. Yes, I use all the best words. Um, my words. Best. Just they're all in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so please take this with a grain of salt. All righty. Um, so let's move on to my pick, which is uh, coming up on next on Tuesday, actually, is the first. I don't know if it's the first Swift conference in Toronto. I'm going to say it is. I planned on having one a few years ago, but I ran out of time. Um, but yeah, Swift SwiftTO is taking place in Toronto. I just found out today, as I was looking at some of the tweets about it today, there's about 250 people attending this uh, conference. It happens just down 
the street from where I work, which is great. Um, I'm giving the first talk, so if you show up early, you get to you get to hear the rest of this conversation. And what um, is the topic of your talk? Well, the topic of my talk is five ways to level up your development or something like that. I would, I always have to look it up, but it's actually it, it, the conceit is it's probably like three ways and a couple of side side stories and or tangents, right? So underselling here, Tim. Come on. Yeah, that's what somebody else said to me too. But um, yeah, no, it's it's basically it covers uh, you communication. Say, you should say it's five ways, but you're really going to get seven ways. Well, okay. Get oh, that's a good go. idea. Yeah, get people to that's go. a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if, yeah. You know, five and five and seven. Because okay. people will say, oh, if it's only three ways, you know, I probably know two of those ways already. So eh, yeah, I'll sleep. Well, I think you don't. I think you don't. Right. That's that's the point of my thing. So because I'm mixing in brain science in in with with yeah. communication and and uh, communication and peer reviewing and and coding and and helping being a senior developer and how to become a senior developer, how a senior developer behaves, uh, and some some just general you know intention and why we do what we do and why we you know why for instance we shouldn't have to have a law for accessibility it should just be something we do without thinking about it right so mm-hmm. and saying please and thank you but not so much in those words in in the talk but who knows and I may actually talk about Jaime's uh, Jaime's thing about the ten points that may actually end up in my talk uh, for next Tuesday so and I'm going I'm leading off the conference so I, I think I, that means I get to set the tone for, for the conference which is cool what time unless is it he start? starts I think the first talk is at ten o'clock oh, so, okay. yeah so you might actually have people there on time yeah, yeah. well who knows yeah right hard to say ten o'clock <laughs> is so early for some software developers <laughs> yeah well it's, I mean it starts at uh, the registration is like eight thirty nine o'clock or something like that yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah we'll see it's yeah. a, it's their first first uh, first try it's it's put on by the folks who run the uh, NS coder um, meetup which Greg was one of the organizers back in the day um, but yeah they're uh, they've been doing uh, they're like oh, taco is the one I go to but uh, I've been to a few NS coders um, with Greg and um, yeah so that's uh, looking forward to it it'll be interesting so that's my talk at Swift Toronto it sold out so sorry if you don't have a ticket you're not going oh then I can't but, make it sorry yeah and um, I think that uh, I have a feeling I, I think I do know that the the talks are going to be recorded I don't know if they'll I might record my talk anyway myself if I remember but yeah cool that's it Mark do you have a pick this week I don't have one this week don't have a pick this week I know that's unusual yeah uh, alright so I guess that's it for the week so hey Jaime if people want to get in touch with you where would they look I'm on Twitter is at dev the hair and Mark if people want to get in touch with you Mark R at smapsoft.com and once again for the 250th time my name is Tim Mitra I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitcher machine and that is still after 250 episodes the best way to get a hold of me so until next time we'll say bye 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 Tim do you want to splice yourself in saying 260 oh sorry <laughs> no <laughs> and then for the and 260th yeah, time the 200... <laughs> and for the 260th time my name is Tim Mitra T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine and that's the best still the best way to get hold of me after 260 episodes wait why 260 because that's this episode he said 250 but that was a while ago that's yeah. 10 weeks ago yeah it's 10 episodes ago mm-hmm. I'm looking right at the the show notes oh Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We talked about this. Yes. Yeah, did. but yeah, again, again, this Facebook, FileMaker Pro, left, right, up, down. Yeah, numbers. You know, these no- numbers are Grammar. Hard. Math is hard. Yeah, I know. Yeah, all that stuff. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. 
If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. used to be hard. You know, it's funny. So all through high school, I was studying math and science and art, right? And theater. And uh, in grade 12, they scheduled theater and art at the same time. So we had to decide whether we wanted to be artists or we wanted to be actors. And so I decided clearly I'm a better artist. So I went into art. But at the same time, I was also doing calculus and and, uh, biology and chemistry and stuff like that. And calculus relations and functions, they called it, and algebra. And uh, I was going to go and be an engineer. And so that was all great and stuff. And then I changed my mind the last minute went to an art school instead of uh, engineering uh, regrettably and um, so about two years into university I thought well I need to I need some I need an elective to fill out some of my stuff I need to have a science or something like that right so I thought I will, I'll go take a math class and to get into the math class I had to do a test and I got into the test and I swear to God I forgot everything I'd learned in four years of school of high school right so yeah I couldn't 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 cut it so, yeah so math is hard math math you can lose it if you don't do if you don't use it right you guys find that? I can see how the, the pressure would cause your, your brain to lose everything temporarily. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like all these sort of formula. We had this thing called FOIL. Do you remember doing, uh, I think, what are they called? Sure, um, that's for quadratic multiplying, equations. multiplying uh, sums. That's quadratic equations, right? No, yeah. quadratic equations for solving oh, a different thing. quadratic formulas. Uh, you know, yeah. x squared plus 2x plus y. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. one yeah. kind of stuff. But FOIL is if you have a plus b times c plus d, where a plus yeah. b are in parentheses, FOIL is yeah. how you... Yeah, so first, inside, outside, last, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. And all those little kitschy phrases. I had... I had a different experience with math than most people because I did graduate work, and so I, I will never forget. <laughs> Been burned into your brain. Yeah, absolutely. I can do integrals now. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I regret that because I really I did enjoy math. Right, that's the, the sad part. Because I really I really liked it. And, um, I wasn't always that great at it. I probably I probably always got like seventy percent. Uh, um, it's funny that the um, LinkedIn has these tests now where you can do tests on on your your knowledge, mm-hmm. and I still score like I, the passing grade is seventy percent. So I'm still I'm assuming I'm still getting 70% on things, but yeah, I think it's funny that I'm still, after all these years, still only getting a 70% average. In what? On, st- on anything. Anything oh. I put my mind to. It's just, I guess that's the way I made up, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had a few physics classes where I ended up getting perfect tests on scores and stuff, but and the, the story is that when I went to get, when the teacher went to hand out the assignment and say that I got perfect, I had skipped the next course, so I wasn't in class to receive the accolade, <laughs> which I think is funny too. So on a lighter note, I went to see Carlos Santana last night. Oh, yeah, How was with, it? The, with the Doobie, with the Doobie Brothers. Nice. Uh, it was it, the concert was good. The sound was crap. I mean, well, uh-huh. the sound for the Doobie Brothers was crap because yeah, it was too heavy on the bass and and you couldn't you know couldn't hear the acoustic biddies and you know the harmonies were lost in the muddiness of the mix and yeah, yeah. I saw but, Parliament Funkadelic last Saturday night. Oh, and how was and that? Yeah. Wow, what a crazy show that was. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, it was. So there were two opening bands, actually three opening bands. I didn't. I didn't 
didn't watch the first opening band, uh, but the other two were Dumpster Funk and Fishbone, both okay, of who are fairly fairly well known. They were both yeah. amazingly awesome. But P Funk, man, was was crazy. I mean, I've never seen a show like this. It was there were times there were like twenty people on the stage. There was always something happening. There wasn't a pause the whole time. Crazy costumes, crazy you know people jumping around doing acrobatics. Um, <laughs> there was a guy running around with just a thong on. <laughs> Um, that that was probably the counterpoint to the to the woman in the skimpy outfit who was one of the right, singers. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, it was just it was just insane. And well, that's what I would expect for Parliament Funkadelic. Parliament though. Funkadelic, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's, that's yeah. What, what you pay for, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what you pay for. Yep. All right. Um, yeah. So that's good. No, Carlos Santana was good. He was like, I think it's the third time we've seen him. Carol says we. I've I know we, I, we saw him. We saw him just before the the Grammy Award uh, album, the Super. Natural. He was th- that was the album we saw him for, and uh-huh. he came out and played all that stuff, and he played all the classic, you know, Santana stuff, right? And uh-huh. um, and and then he went off and won ten Grammy awards, right? And then uh, then the whole world discovered him, right? Yeah, um, with that Re- smooth, rediscovered him. Well, rediscovered him, yeah, because I mean, well, he kind of had a, he, I think he had a lull in in the in this eighties and nineties. So that's why right? I say Cause, rediscovered because he yeah. people knew him way back when, and then he he never stopped. I mean, he kept going, right? Yeah, yeah but yeah. in the in the uh, the mind of the world, he kind of stopped. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so this was the 50th anniversary of Woodstock and his performance at Woodstock because that was his break on it. And apparently, it was you know, your buddy Bill Graham mm-hmm. who put him on the bill, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, at Woodstock, because like, or not him, but the band Santana. And uh, um, yeah, and that was like his breakout performance was in that and in the movie, and because nobody knew who he was, so he was a you know performer from San Jose of all places, right? So yeah, it was good. And and it, again, lots of energy, lots of rhythm, barely stopped. Like you know, they would they would end a song and they would go right into another song there was like a few times when he stopped and talked to the audience but but uh most of the night it was just you know one continuous you know hit after another kind of thing right so it's really good show yeah interesting yeah. enough a lot of the the san francisco bands from the 60s mm-hmm. uh were actually originally south bay san jose bands oh really yeah, yeah. a yeah. lot of the yeah. people in yeah. jefferson airplane grateful dead yeah. uh and santana all, a lot of them kind of got their start down in palo alto and san jose and then eventually made their way up to the city they hit ashbury yeah 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 sure yeah. yeah, even even the the birds guy, what's his name? He's going to be playing here. Doing oh, uh, David Crosby. No, the other one, um, Roger McGlynn, English, English guy, not birds. Um, Graham Nash. Graham Nash. Yeah, he was yeah, not yeah. in the birds. No, I know, I know. Uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's um, he's going to be here for a, a night of song and stories. I've, I'm sure I've heard all the stories before, but you know, you know how many stories can the guy possibly have to tell us? <laughs> well, apparently he's got some new ones about David Crosby now. New stories about David Crosby? Well, they don't, they don't get along. They're arch enemies now. Yeah, well, no, I, are they? Because I know there was, yeah, because he wrote that book a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, yeah. Nash, right? And uh, yep. yeah, there weren't too many favorable things said to about him then. So, you know, what mm-hmm. can you say? Mm-hmm. What can you say? All right. Um, so who, who is, I've been wondering this. Who would you say is the most famous to Canadians, Canadian rock star, musician, or whatever of all time? Wow, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, some would say Neil Young. Okay. Some would say uh, Brian Adams. Really? Some would say, some Brian Adams Celine over Neil Young. Wow. Some would say Celine Dion. Okay. Some would say Justin Bieber. Oh, yeah. Some would say Robbie Robertson. Okay. 
Some would say Randy Bachman. It's hard um, to put Randy Bachman or or Joni Mitchell would be another one. Oh, Joni Mitchell, yeah, yeah. She's Gordon Lightfoot. You know, guys, do you guys know Gordon Lightfoot? Sure, yeah, yeah. Gordon Lightfoot. He would be. He's and then Leonard Cohen. I was mean, he but those, of the Edmund Fitzgerald? Was that him? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's him. Yep, Canadian and, song, uh, right? Yeah, well, it's a Lake Superior, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's see. So, so it's hard to see any of the like um, Americana rock bands like like Paul Rob, Robertson or or yeah. or, uh, or um, who's the other one? They said um, Randy Bachman's not Americana, but he was. It's hard to believe to put any of those above Neil Young. You could see you could see the argument because of different tastes for Celine Dion yeah. or or even Justin Bieber. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I, I, well, still, I think a, it's Neil Young as yeah, as, a, a, as a non Canadian. I, I vote for Neil Young. Yeah, I mean he's sort of he's sort of like the top of the like. I mean like he he's had like a, a career since the '60s, right? So, yeah, and he well, was he was in that whole Hate Ashbury scene, and he played with Nash and Young and Cosby yeah. and what I what. what made me uh, think about this was I, I, I actually saw an article online somewhere that was exactly this the, the you know like the top 10 Canadian rock musicians ever or musicians ever uh, and they yeah, basically was on the list. Uh, I don't remember everyone but most people you said I think uh, Rush was on the list too that you didn't mention yeah that. Rush is another one yeah, yeah well I mean yeah if you if you want to get into bands well yeah. you know you can't here's the part that, that's shocking to most Canadians right like in terms of in terms of record sales and stuff like that Nickelback mm, yeah. Nickelback's no, like not surprising because they sold well, they're kind of pop. scorned here. They're kind of scorned here, but yeah, but they're they're quite big in the states. But did they outsell Bieber? I don't know about that. I mean, yeah. you know, Bieber's in a whole other category. He's yeah. like, he's in that same category as Michael Jack, early Michael Jackson, Donny, you know, Donny Osmond, mm. Bobby but Sherman. It, yes, but anyway, oh, this yeah. article singled out Neil Young and Joni Mitchell as the two verified legends on the list. Yeah, and everyone else that, yeah. was like a level down. But then in Canada, we would say bands like the Tragically Hip, which didn't really ha- they had a great following in the United States. They always sold out, but they weren't yeah. really well known in the states, right? Right, right. But yeah. were they bigger than Neil Young in Canada? Uh, in in some ways, yeah. In yeah. some ways, uh-huh. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, because because time time changes, right? I mean, like you know, yeah. Neil Young Neil Young could play Massey Hall by himself with an acoustic guitar back right. in the day, right. Right? right? right. And but the Tragically Hip could play like could play like ten nights at Massey Hall, like you know, yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure Neil Young, Neil Young could probably fill like you know the the Rogers Center or or the you know the ACC or what's it called now the Scotiabank Center right I'm sure he could fill that but the Tragically Hip easily filled it they could do it like two or three nights in a row right so mm-hmm. but mind you that that was you know we no longer have them anymore because Gord Downey passed away the last right, year right, right. So, yeah. another one on the list was Leonard Cohen yeah well I mentioned him right? oh you did like he's, oh, okay. yeah yeah he's yeah. yeah well he's got that whole you know there's a whole the whole uh, you know side to that right so but then and, again, and you, isn't there Alanis Morissette too wasn't she Alanis Morissette yeah I yeah. forgot about her yeah, yeah. that's true yeah. yeah she was she was pretty big and still is pretty big right but um, but Celine, and surprisingly Celine Dion right Celine Dion had a had a career in Quebec and then started singing in English and just blew the mm. doors off the place and now you know now she's down in in is she still in Vegas I can't remember I don't know that, that I, I, to be honest I don't track Celine Dion <laughs> no I but she it, just but recently what she stopped doing the the residency in Vegas I think don't quote me on that yeah no I think she has because but she also but don't forget she also did the song from Titanic right right you know which truth be told is she apparently she didn't like the song and and uh and david foster kind of tricked her into into doing that's uh, that's another side of it too is you could you could also go to look at like producers right because david foster was is a, a big uh, guy behind a lot of hits right and 
then there's um, oh, uh, Daniel Lanois, who's behind like U2 and places like bands like that, right? So because he worked with Brian Eno and stuff, right? So because people used to come up here to record as well as you know before the before the Hollywood stuff started happening up here as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. So quite a bit of um, and then of course Robbie Robertson is kind of legendary, being one of Bob Dylan's backup guys, right? So in the and band. in the band, yeah. and, and then he's got his own solo career, right? So right, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's Canadian and Canadian um, music is not uh, not too shabby when you look at when you look at it all together, right? So, it's true. Yeah, considering Cummings considering and, the yeah. relatively small population compared to down here, yeah, and then and then look at Paul Anka who started pretty much started the whole thing, right? So with early stuff, right? Started what whole thing? Well, Paul Anka was a songwriter, right? And he mm-hmm. wrote a lot of a lot of stuff for uh, like he wrote My Way and stuff mm-hmm. for Sinatra, and, and he had that Diana song back in the fifties or sixties, right? So yeah, he's been around for a long time. He's mm-hmm. he's written a lot of a lot of tunes that you probably heard. And then in terms of songwriters, there's Shirley Eichhart too, who wrote a lot of a lot of songs in Rome. You probably probably haven't heard the name, but she um, wrote a lot of stuff for or what's a what uh, a country lady with the red hair. Um, she's not really country; she's more blues. Um, Bonnie Raitt. Bonnie Raitt. Yeah, she wrote a lot of songs for her. Hmm. Something that's given something to talk about. You know that song? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's by Shirley Eichhart. Oh, okay. So she's kind of the uh, the Carol King of Canada. Yeah, in a sense. Yeah, or, or except Carol uh, King had her own record at one at some point. Or is it Linda Perry? Yeah, the, um, Linda Perry, the one that's um, you know the Born on Blondes. She wrote a lot of songs for mm. Christina Aguilera and mm. and Pink and stuff like that, right? So, yeah. and she's a producer. Yeah, mm-hmm. but she's not Canadian, by the way. Just mm. for those of you driving at home.